Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. We've looked at commissions in the past two weeks that um, have told us about the way things God meant to be, right? But that isn't the whole story, right? Uh, what is Genesis 3 often referred to as? Say loud. The fall. The fall, right? The fall of humanity. These commissions, and really the commission that we looked at in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that we were image bearers, that we were supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. That was what was supposed to happen. And it didn't. You see, it's not the whole story. We need this to understand the landscape in which we live. We need this to understand the dynamics of our current existence and the reality that we inhabit. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, God is going to initiate the redemption of the entirety of the whole of cosmos. Okay? The whole of his originally good creation. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. In other words, get out of your comfort zone. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone, but good things are going to come your way. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, we know the whole story. We know that this comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ. But this is also supposed to be something that Abraham and his descendants were supposed to live into. This is something they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be the people through whom the whole of creation, the whole of the nations, were blessed. This is God's template for redemption. God takes on the bad that humanity brought into his good creation. He flips it on its head, and he brings about good. This commission sets up the stage for the rest of this series and our entire existence that we live in today. It explains the current order of things. And in it, I think we see two things in particular about God. We see first that God is extremely consistent. God is not deterred from his plans. God is going to bring about blessing upon his creation, and he's going to use humanity to do it. Do you see the consistency here? When things go awry, God doesn't give up on humanity. He says, I'm still going to use you to bring about blessings to the whole of earth. But then we also see here the creativity of our God. God is consistent, but he's also creative. He takes the bad, and we're going to talk about this later, but it gets really, 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 really bad. He takes that bad, and he turns it into good. It isn't, I'm going to wipe everybody out. It's, I'm going to bless all the nations who are in rebellion against me. 
through you. So we see the consistency and the creativity of God. And, and what I want us to unpack tonight is that creativity of God. What is this idea of redemption? We live in the age of redemption, right? We live in this age in which God is bringing about the, the good plans and purposes for his creation, but it hasn't yet come to fruition yet in full, right? We don't have the fullness of God's original purposes for us, but God is restoring things the way they were intended to be. And so we live in this age of redemption. And so my question that I want us to answer tonight as we look at this text in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is how does it help us make sense out of our current day and age and our place in it? as people who bear the name of God. And by the way, if you are feel like you're on the fringe of the Christian faith tonight, or if you are, are, are just not even a Christian, I think the fact that God continues to invite humanity into his good plans and purposes for his creation is one of the most compelling parts about the Christian faith. So this isn't just for us who bear the name of Christ. This is for everyone, I think. I think there's a lot of good news in here. And so, much to uh, Elisa's chagrin, who tells me I should have two-point lessons instead of three, I'm going to do four. I think that this set of verses, don't worry, I'm, I really am going to keep it short-ish. Um, <laughs> this set of verses tells us four things about redemption. First, that redemption recognizes that there's a tension in our reality. The second is that redemption seeks restoration. The third is that redemption demands multiplication. And that the, the fourth, and this one really, really matters, that redemption is God's. Okay? Redemption is God's. But let's first, redemption recognizes tension. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Redemption recognizes tension, right? The last two weeks we talked about God's originally good intent before the fall, but it ain't all good, is it? And I don't have to convince you of that, right? The fact that you're in school and you're frustrated by your test and the fact that we're living through a worldwide pandemic and the fact that that you have pride in your heart and others' pride and uh, others' prides um, and, and relationships are hard. The fact that you feel lonely quite often on campus, alone in your dorm room. I don't have to tell you that things went awry. I don't have to convince you of that. This age of redemption in which we live is marked by both the good and the bad. It is marked by the reality that God is at work in our fallen world, right? God's still at work. There's the good, but we do live in a fallen world. Whereas we put it last year, God is what? Faithful in our brokenness. You see, though Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is, is an extremely hopeful, no, sorry, I'll go back, extremely hopeful text, right? And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, that's an extremely hopeful text. Though that is an extremely helpful text, we look at its context, specifically what comes before it. We see that it stands in sharp contrast to the lead-up to this verse. As, in, uh, as uh, Christopher J. Trite puts it, he says, When we combine the dark picture of Genesis 3 through 11 with the promise of blessing in chapter 12, we can anticipate that the story to follow will involve both realities. On one hand, we know that history will be the arena of human sin getting even worse. But on the other hand, we will now be watching for the footprints of God's blessing. Right? Do you get that tension he's trying to get us into? We live in a broken world that God has redeemed. 
that God has not given up on, that God is still bringing about his good plans and purposes in. You see, the redemption was foreshadowed in Genesis 3, right? Uh, you get this great line uh, that um, the serpent, right? This is God cursing Adam and Eve, um, or bringing about Adam's, Adam and Eve's curse upon them. And he, he says, um, you know, that the serpent will strike your heel, but you will crush it, right? Um, and, and so you, you get that redemption foreshadowed, right? That the battle will be put out and stomped out. But it's not initiated. It's not initiated until right here. In Genesis 12. So what happens in between then? What happens in between Genesis 3, what we understand as the fall, and Genesis 11? You see, I think we've made a mistake when we talk about the fall as Genesis 3 and Genesis 3 only. You see, the fall is the whole of Genesis 3 through 11. Because what you see in, verse, in chapters 4 through 11 is the entire fallout of humanity. The effects of sin's curse making its way into the bowels of our society. To the very innards of who we are, and to the very innards of our culture. God let sin and its curse run its course. And the chaos that was brought to order in creation began to infiltrate our world and wreaked havoc on humanity's hearts and minds and souls in the very creation in which we lived. And it culminated into a boiling point in Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. Redemption had not been initiated yet. This is what happened if God lets humanity to our own devices. What comes next? Genesis 6 is the beginning of the story of whom? Say it again. No. What? No. No. Genesis 6 through 9 is the story of Noah. And when Noah, humanity gets this great reset, okay? Humanity gets this great reset with Noah. God wipes everyone out, and then basically Noah, by the way, and we're going to look at this later, gets a commissioning. And it's the same commissioning that God gives, or a very similar commissioning that God gives Adam and Eve. He says, fill the earth. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Increase in number. That's what he says. But Noah actually ends up. Does anyone know how the story of Noah ends? How does he end up? Drunk. Drunk. And what? And ashamed. He ends up naked and ashamed in a garden. Who's that sound like? Naked and ashamed in a garden. Who's that sound like? Adam and Eve. Right? He ends up just like them. Without God's initiation of redemption, humanity falls immediately back in to its fallen state. And then that circles. Right, it's like a spiral. So like you have Adam and Eve and it spirals around and it comes back around and we get to Noah and it resets and he ends up naked and ashamed in the garden again and humanity continues just to fall out. And it ends in this. Does anyone know what this is, this is about? Genesis 11, verse 4. Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. 
But like God says, I will make your name great to Abraham. But they're saying, I'm going to make my name great. And by the way, there's a difference. Otherwise, we will be scattered. Hear that. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That is their big concern, is that they will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What does God always want of humanity? Say it. To be scattered. They're saying, we're rejecting God's original intent for us. That is our greatest fear, is what God always wanted for us. That we will fill the earth, increasing number, and subdue it. This is what Abraham is commissioned in the wake of. This is the context. So you're beginning to see the tension of redemption. The utter sinfulness of humanity. And the complete and other goodness of God. Because at this point, if we were in charge, we're all giving up. We're going to find a different way. We aren't going to choose humanity to bring about our good plans and purposes anymore. We were writing the story, but God is consistent. God doesn't give up on his original intent. He chooses a new human. He chooses Abraham. And that's what sets up the landscape for the whole of the rest of this lesson and series. So, redemption. Redemption seeks restoration. God is consistent. God still wants us to live in our physical bodies on a curse-free earth. So say this with me on three. The second one. One, two, three. Redemption seeks restoration. Humanity may be an absolute and complete, utter rebellion towards God, but in the call of Abraham, we see that God is not deterred. He seeks to restore our identity as image bearers, as people who are going to mediate his presence and his reign out into the world. When you read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, what stands out to you? Specifically, what word stands out to you? Bless. Bless. That's right. How many times does it appear? I'll say, I should have asked you that. Five. It appears five times. There's a word that occurs in Genesis um, 3, five times. It's the word curse. Curse and bless are opposites, right? You can either be blessed or cursed by someone, but you're probably not going to be both by someone. They're opposites. So we see here is that the five curses of Genesis 3 are reversed, right? Are reversed to the five blessings of Genesis 12. And by the way, what is that blessing? What is the blessing that God is giving Abraham and his descendants? This one's harder. Someone take a shot. Eternal life. Eternal life. That's part of it. What marks eternal life? What makes eternal life good? Eternal life without God would be pretty crappy, wouldn't it? Okay, so what makes eternal life good? It's God's presence, right? Notice the other word that you see repeated a lot here is God. It's I, I, I. I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. I will do that. In other words, I'm going to be with you. That's the blessing. 
what's, what's terrible about losing Eden is that they were losing access to the very presence of God. And here, God's saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm here, I'm for you. Of all the nations, God chooses Abram and his descendants to dwell among. That's the blessing. And that, by the way, has a tangible effect on their quality of life. Because God dwells with Israel, they were to be a people who experienced and pointed to the reversal of sin's curse. Okay? And we see this really clearly in the temple. I'm not going to, I did this in a sermon a while ago. Uh, um, because I'm making four points, I have all this written out. I'm not going to make all the points, but basically, right? Do we? Do you know? Raise your hand if you know what the temple, temple and the tabernacle are. Right? What does it represent? The presence of God. And what imagery is inside of it? The garden. The garden, right? It's Edenic imagery. Okay. So, like, it's just filled by like these lampstands. It's like the tree of life. Those are cherubim. They're guarding. The Ark of the Covenant, which represents specifically the very um, presence of God. Uh, the Holy of Holies is marked off by curtains with cherubim on it, just like Eden is marked off, right? Was, was guarded by cherubim. Okay, so all you're seeing in the temple is imagery, uh, is imagery of Eden. Okay, and the temple and the tabernacle were literally the very center of the life of the nation of Israel. Okay, so the tabernacle is literally in the middle of the camp. Okay, so it's like, let's pretend for a second I'm the tabernacle. I'm the tabernacle. Israel would be literally camped out with me in the middle. They'd be surrounding me, okay? Um, the temple, so like literally the physical center of their world, right? Um, and then um, and once they go and they live in the promised land, they build the temple, uh, and they kind of spread out throughout the promised land. Seven times a year, all of Israel is supposed to come back to Jerusalem and make sacrifices at the temple. So it becomes the temporal center of their life. You see, redemption tells us that God wants to take all of this brokenness that we experience and flip it on its head. That God wants to reverse sin's curse on his originally good creation. God wants to reverse sin's curse on your life and in your life. All the brokenness that you experience out on that campus, the loneliness and the lack of community, belonging, Identity, the, the loss of a loved one, which I know some of you have experienced. The way your pride makes it impossible to relate to others in the way that you want to. The seemingly empty prayers that you offer up when you're feeling hopeless and alone. The disappointment with yourself and with others, and just the world in general. Life's not fair. Your frustrations with your schoolwork, and how it seems so pointless, and therefore your life seems purposeless. All that brokenness that you don't just experience internally, but you see around you, the injustice, the natural disasters, the pandemic, the pain, the corruption, the cancer, the confusion, the restlessness of our society at large. But God comes to dwell and reign among us. By the way, and that's what he's promising to do. Now I'm going forward. 
That's what he's promising to do here. And God promises to dwell and reign among us. He's going to flip it. Redemption seeks restoration. Redemption seeks restoration. And I encourage you throughout the semester, hold on to that hope. Because all that chaos that was introduced into the world by sin and its curse, God's going to flip it. And he's going to replace it with the blessing of his very presence through the power of his Holy Spirit. I'll check my time. I feel bad. I'm going to check my time. Man, I'm doing fine, Elise. I'm just going to keep calling you out. All right. This blessing is given to a particular people, right? This commission is given to Abraham and his descendants, right? And that seems problematic at first. But here's the third point of redemption that we see in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is that, say this with me on three, redemption demands multiplication. Say it again on three. One, two, three. Redemption demands multiplication. The personal promises that are given to Abraham, right? The personal promises have final world blessing in their end. Abraham is chosen and made into a great nation explicitly so that all nations will be blessed, right? This blessing will be multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And thus we can speak of a twofold agenda in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Abraham is first of all to be a recipient of God's blessing, right? God is going to restore. Abraham and his family to their original creational design, right? That creational mandate in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is going to be restored with inside of Abraham and his family on some level. It's still going to be slightly broken, but it's still going to, in some way, they're going to experience the restoration of that. And by the way, that's what the wall is all about, is helping them live back into that. Under the reign of God, the kingdom of God. But second of all, they're just going to be the recipient of God's blessing. They're going to be its mediator. We're not just going to be imaging God to creation now. But now that sin's curse has marked the nations, has marked humanity, right? Something that was originally perfect. We're going to bring order to chaos among people. It is our job to do that as Christians, as those who bear the name of Christ, or at least to facilitate that in others. See, just as chaos surrounded Eden in the creation, a new chaos, sin, death, and its curse surrounds God's people. Just as Adam and Eve were to bring order to chaos in the physical world, so too now we, as God's people, are to bring order to chaos chaos from sin's curse amongst the nations. Let me put it this way. Um, in our fallen world, there's no such thing as peacekeeping. Right? There's this idea, you know, I just want to keep the peace, but there, there's no such thing as peacekeeping. What's the Beatitudes say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Children of God. Peace cannot be kept in a world that is marked by the amount of brokenness and fallenness in which we live. 
it has to be made. We are to be agents of Eden outside of this world. When you walk out of this room, it is your job as those who bear the name of Christ, as those who bear the name of Yahweh. It is my job, it is our job to be priests. To mediate the blessings of God out into an extremely broken world. To bring order to chaos. Think, think about your friend. Think about your own life. Think about just campus in general. Think about the chaos. It is our job as those who bear the name of Christ to bring order in the blessing and reign of Christ out into that brokenness. God's restorative presence demands to be shared, it demands to be multiplied. It is not ours to keep, but it is God's to give. God's people are to be a so that people. We are blessed so that we may be a blessing. And so a question I want you to grapple with this week is how can you and how can I and how can we as a whole ministry be a people who bring order to chaos out on our campuses? How can we help reverse sin's curse out in this world? I want you to really think about that. Let that question haunt you at night. Let it stick with you. Because I think it's our job. And by the way, it's not just a job, and what a blessing it is that God doesn't just say, I'm going to fix everything, but that he invites us to be a part of it. That God has chosen to work through me and you in our own brokenness. By the way, Abraham's super broken. Like in Genesis chapter 13 or 14, he lies about his wife being his sister so that she'll go sleep with an Egyptian prince. And that they won't kill him. Don't do that, by the way. But God has taken all of our brokenness, and he's asked us to be those who bear his name, and therefore bear his image, and mediate out his reign and presence into the world. I know that is the task he gives us. The final thing that I think we learn as we look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, as God initiates redemption out in this world, out to the very broken world in which we have and live. We cannot forget that redemption is God's. So say it with me on three. One, two, three. Redemption is God's. Yes, we have a task in front of us. Yes, we bear a name that demands something out of us to bring order to chaos to speak truth and love to a broken world. But, redemption is not ours. It's God's. I want you to look at um, all of these. So you have Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Right? We have a fall, right? They don't do that well, right? It goes very poorly, right? I don't care who you blame, whether it's Adam or Eve, I tend to blame Adam because at least Eve was tricked by the craftiest animal. They fall. 
God resets with Noah. What happens to Noah, by the way, how he ends up naked and ashamed in the garden is they land on Mount Ararat after the ark, right? The, the flood happens. They land on Mount Ararat, and then um, Noah ends up uh, planting a vineyard. And he gets drunk off the wine of the vineyard, and he ends up um, taking off all of his clothes, and he's in a tent. And two of Noah's sons, or one of Noah's sons, enters in and sees his father naked, which brings upon shame to Noah. And then the two other sons, right, they turn, and they walk back in, and they basically drag him out and get him clothed. But humanity finds itself in the same place nine chapters later as they were, or six chapters later, after Genesis 3, naked and ashamed in a garden. By the way, all that about Noah took place after he was told, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So here's my question, and this is the last one. What's the difference between this one and these two? These two that utterly failed, right? I mean, utterly failed. What's the difference between those two and this one? God's presence. God's presence. God's present there, but... But he's the one who's saying that he will... Yes. Who's the actor in the first two? People. Humanity, right? Yeah, people. Who's the actor? Who's the main character in this commission? God. Redemption is God's. God has ensured already that this redemption and this restoration that redemption seeks is going to take place through the person and work of who? Jesus. It is finished. It is done. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. The veil that has cherubim, which guard the presence of God from the world, has been ripped from top to bottom. God will not be deterred. God will continue to use humanity. He will even make himself human so that he may die to bring about his good plans and purposes for his creation. And that's the mission, this mission of redemption that we are invited into by God. And what a blessing that is. It's not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon us. But the same invitation that was given to Abraham to get out of our comfort zones, and to let God bless us so that we may be a blessing, still stands today.